the ways that um, practicing around a meditation topic uh, affects the mind can have quite as far-reaching effects begins to affect um, experience of objective object reality as well as subject reality these two apparently these two these two apparent realities this dualism is the um, the world view that um, is commonly lived in and it's uh, one of marked by suffering and frustration because the subject can never really find out what it is um, it can never really actually get the objects that it's looking for and yet it can't get away from the objects that it doesn't want either <laughs> so having no particular uh, the subject finds that there's no particular position that it has or occupies, but it also is not in a state of having having no position either. It's uh, something that can't grasp anything, but gets grasped by everything. Um, so this seems to be the, the worst deal in both accounts. <laughs> The, the some of the simple aspects of practicing anapanasati start to uh, affect the way that that, um, that that those realities are held or held to occur. Um, so one of the significant features is is learning to move um, what it can take to move one's awareness, one's attention from following an object to allowing an object to pass through it. So this is a, a shifting from what we call the long breath to the short breath. In the long breath you're following, clearly following the a process as it begins and matures and comes to fruition and stops, pauses, starts again and so on, a complete process of the of the breath, and that's um, so that's your one's first exercise, and there's a calming and a steadying effect that comes from that. <coughs> so this has um, this witnessing of process, um, this experiencing of process is a uh, um, itself is is um, um, has. Kind of changes the way that attention works. Attention will tend to to grab items rather than process. So it, um, you know, the, when the attention will tend to grab at, at the stimulation of an item rather than the process of an item, the continuity of something. So we get very um, object dependent and stimulation dependent. So it's the particular hit, and the, the attention span is not um, 
asked or encouraged to extend itself through the, through the process that that phenomena take, that phenomena go through, they're they're arising and they're ceasing, they're flowing along. We tend to just take snapshots of one bit of it, and this of course means that one the mind gets very stimulation dependent. Whereas the process of something is more dispassionate yeah, because we're not actually picking up one particular point on that on that phase. So you know when you go through the phase of something, then um, you know because one is the, the the mind is actually not looking at a particular point, so the fixity of things. The fixity of objects begins to lose its reality. The, 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 the things have a finite quality. Things have a, things have the quality nature of changing. Their processes. And so that particular um, an exercise like that, and just following that and realizing we do that, actually your mind feels quite calm, easy in itself. It doesn't. It's not that one has particularly found something that's so um, special, just something ordinary. But going through the, the experience of a process is 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 calming. It exercises one's attention to go through the highs, the lows, the soft, the strong subtle and the stopping and the and the spaces you see this play of elemental qualities including space pauses and then the pauses between the breaths is that allowing that to open and close like a door and it's uh, the pauses are some of the nicest bits actually yeah, that kind of the mind just looking at an empty space for a, uh, a fraction in that flow, and then t- taking that kind of uh, way of 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 relating to phenomena into one's life, including oneself, of course, you know, the phases of one's life, changes of it, changes the body goes through being able to, to rest easy with all of it. The changes the body goes through even in a day, or the energies that the mind goes through in a day from its kind of um, embryonic spluttering in the mornings to <laughs> you know, mildly caffeinated teenage morning. And then so it's uh, sort of, you know, as it sags into the evening <laughs> and then peters out altogether. And all of that, you know, rather than in the morning, oh, I don't feel like it, I don't feel strong enough, I, don't, I can't be bothered, I can't meditate. And, you know. So it's important to really go through it the whole day so you don't just kind of looking for the zappy, sparkly, wonderful, luminescent experiences crystal clear, fascinating, intelligent stuff, <laughs> but all the sort of blear, 
that 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 that's maturity to to go through that whole process without taking it without making a self out of it. Whereas there's tendencies to make a self out of particular phases, particular points in that pattern. You know, the bright, the sharp, the witty, the intelligent, the on the on the ball, top form stuff. You know, which is like you know the five percent, whatever it is, <laughs> and the rest of it, you know, kind of embarrass and push it under the carpet, or do we do on our own or in private, fall apart. So uh, retreat is very is good. This actually to come fall apart in public <laughs> with everybody else in the mornings is uh, much commendable. Yeah, you know, to, to really, and it helps have a group, you know, the solidity of a group, and people prepared to actually move past their boundaries, past their the things they permit themselves to be, opening up, widening the boundary of one's permission, so I can well, I can be here with the, the not very good, the kind of frankly def- defective. <laughs> And uh, you know the nice things too, and overall the 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 effect of that means that actually, you know, the mind acquires a kind of strength, which means that without pushing away the the defective or the deficient, it 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 loses its intensity. One begins the 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 low energy. One acquires a kind of gentleness and equanimity. Comes in. You see how when you're on is stimulation dependent, then you get kind of arrogant and 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 grasping and impatient. But when you can deal with low, be with low stimulation, and things aren't very inspiring, and that's fine. Then your mind acquires a kind of gentleness and modesty, which is very a very lovely place to to live, with a mind that is, is content and easy, isn't expecting the most diamond bright illuminated wisdom teachings every you know and experiences every moment of the day this is very much the like the, the maturation <coughs> process and so particularly you know, in India we have a tradition like this, the Theravada Buddhist tradition is is good for this because it's kind of fuddy duddy. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, frankly, you know, it's about two thousand years out of date, as it were. <laughs> and it's, it's part of its charm. It doesn't try to be kind of snappy new age answers to everything kind of thing it's kind of uh, fumbling along <laughs> so we go through this and you go through these days and the morning chanting you know which one can be quite keen on at first after you've done about this for a month or two oh no there we go again you know, inspiration wears out. Then is that's when it's really important to stay with it. So we go through the phases of the 
eagerness, inspiration, kind of less inspired, frustrated, frankly resentful. (laughs) 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 Why do I have to do this silly stuff kind of thing? And then keep going until the mind begins to empty out of its its commentaries and its what I want and how is this going to work for me kind of thing. It's open. Doesn't have to mean anything. Doesn't have to make sense. So we're relieved of that and some of that terrible self-importance that can dog our lives. It can die. It can start to drain away the when you know something in the mind can be so demanding with its self-importance that I only have the best and the <laughs> you know the kind of ideal things for me because that's <laughs> I don't want anything less than the best for me. <laughs> you know, because I'm important. <laughs> I don't waste my time with anything other than the most. Supreme. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's sort of this, uh, this conceit of the mind, the arrogance of the mind. So then, uh, then eventually you, you follow that habit, then you find that there's an increasingly uh, smaller and smaller number of things that are good enough. Yeah, you're always reducing the contentment faculty, getting to, you know, more and more abilities to be discontent and find fault with things. This isn't something we really need to enhance. <laughs> and this goes because it, the, all this is object dependent, isn't it? Really, so, you know, if we're looking at liberation, we're not going to be You've got to get past object dependency so the mind can stand on its own. Things can be, anyone's awareness can stand on its own. Sick, you feel sick. Then what's going to happen when you feel sick and you've got a headache and you've got a bunged up nose and you're trying to do anapanasadi, you can't even breathe. (laughs) (laughs) All this lovely stuff about, you know, but these fine points of the breath, and you just can't even get one nostril full. <laughs> 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 so then it's just kind of the, the frustration of the mind. You can cont- you can use this just this meditation on on the mind states that come up. And you can recognise that, in a way, this is this is where we, we all meet, because you know if you can um, can breathe quite freely. Then something else comes up, doesn't it? Thoughts, feelings, body twinges, you know, or the sound of the person who can't breathe sitting next to you. <laughs> so you're still stuck in this position of you can't quite, you know, do the thing that you wanted to do. So we had to work with that instead of that thing that gets all kind of crotchety and grumpy. Just be very, very patient. And the most important thing is to is to purify the mind. To use these things to purify the mind, rather than to make them objects that um, you know the mind's 
um, cantankerousness can fixate upon. So we're aware of the beginning of the breath, the end of the breath, the inability to breathe. You know that that then that that you can contemplate that and uh, and a retreat. You know the, the the moods one goes through, the mindsets one goes through, the general flow of a day, and in your life, you know, the the things that one kind of gets very excited and convinced by. You know, five years ago. And then now you think, Phew. but then what we're convinced by right now, you know, and in ten years' time you think, what is that, you know? But so to be able to hold hold lightly, when we come to the the, the short breath, then you actually. This is something that comes out of that of the maturation of that that process of that experience of process. So these these inflections, these movements, or these stages, if you like, anapanasati, are things that that um, are quite natural. They're like um, a profile of the way that awareness. Um, Moves, the way that it happens around this particular thing, you stay with it. So, as one becomes more attuned to following a process, then it's like you can recognize the mind is no longer so dependent on a particular um, point in that, in that, on the particular phenomenon. It becomes more attuned to a quality of attention, a quality of focus. It's more attuned to that, you trust that more. A sense of being present, of not pushing, of not sliding off, of not creating things, of not, you know, getting, creating mind states around what's happening, of not comparing and contrasting, but just the being present and, and staying with things. Whatever they're doing, you know. so we begin to trust that. So as, as that and that that there's something there's a there's a, a resonance there, because it is a place of of steadiness. And though naturally there there is an inclination towards that, as you incline towards steadying, you incline towards steadying and calming, then what occurs is that your attention becomes more just on the on standing still standing still and allowing the process to pass through and you keep like just at the present moment as things as things pass through as the breath passes through now it's just as if one is watching a, a, a you know, you're w- watching a, a river or, or a sea or something like that flowing. And if, as you watch it flowing, you're watching the ripples, you're watching the thing flowing downstream. And um, 
you know, you may, you may, you may be focused on that. And as you stay focused on that, eventually your mind just to stand still and let the ripples pass through it. Rather than kind of following the flow of the river, the one's attention stands still. Imagine that if the, you have the, the moon shining on the water, you know, the image of the moon stays still, doesn't it? It kind of shimmers. It doesn't flow down the river. The objects flow down it, but you begin to experience, you see that the, the image, so the image of, similarly the image of the breath, even though it's kind of shimmering, stands on one spot. And it's not, you know, the air breath anymore, but it's the, it's the impression that the breath makes on the mind. And it's actually, strange enough, it's actually brighter um, because, of, because it has a continuity to it, it has steadiness to it. Now one thing, notice that um, think, I don't think I've used the word concentration or concentrate in this retreat. Um, this is quite deliberate, mostly because of um, you know things like focusing, um, steadying, calming, gathering, collecting, attention, but not uh, don't uh, the word con- don't use the word concentrate. I really advise you not to pick up that that word. If you concentrate, you would tend to find that you get a tightening effect. This may you know, kind of like a, an intensity to it, and so this is because um, because con- con- concentration is normally dependent on an object. Um, you know, we focus on a particular thing, a particular point, an object of some kind, whereas um, samadhi arises out of focusing on on a process and on, on the images and what can what can arise from a process. So that things can only arise from a process when the mind is not held tight. If your mind is held tight onto an object, it doesn't allow these these impressions to arise. You keep ignoring those impressions. You don't let them arise. So you get a kind of tight holding onto a, to a physical or physiological phenomenon, but there isn't any, the mind is locked, so you don't get uh, a changing, uh, uh, the, phenomenon doesn't cha- the phenomenon doesn't change, and the mind doesn't um, experience gladness or joy, it, doesn't, it remains fixated, it doesn't become independent of the object. But in this particular process, although one is focusing on an object, the aim of the focusing is to become independent of the object, not through disregarding it, but through understanding the nature of that object, the the way that object behaves. So you're contemplating or focusing on the behavior of an object, not not the itemization of it. 
and the behavior of an object is that it's changing. You know, so if you focus on the particular quality of a thing, its blackness or its redness or this or that or the other, then that's that's the that's the character that's the the physical characteristic. But for this process, you're focusing on the on on the behavior of an object, such as the breath, the fact that it flows and changes. So once you've moved to process awareness, then the mind is no longer object dependent, or stimulation dependent, or object dependent. So there's that, there's that quality of liberation. If one is not object dependent, then one is not disturbed. One is not, one is not disturbed by the changes in an object, by the disappearance or the, or the, pro, or the things it goes through. One of the, so one of the principal um, signs that one focuses on in this way is the sign of impermanence of all um, perceptions to, to look out for. The Buddha recommended the perception of impermanence to be of the most long-lasting uh, significance because it's something that, that fits all phenomena and always leaves the mind free from uh, taking a stand for or against phenomena. So we're not trying to avoid things, you know, sort of saying nothing, nothing there, or there is something there. It's not that one is, you know, trying to move away or trying to move into, but you're looking at this particular behavior experience. And that, that is where, this is which this experience, this Focusing on, on the changeability of it, it brings home the point that that nothing we can do, nothing we can say about that object is actually substantially true, apart from that it changes, because every other characteristic of it, um, every other facet of it, is impermanent. This is where um, the phenomenal world begins to incline towards emptying. It empties out of um, the kind of labels that we, we put onto it. <coughs> Strong or weak, fine, coarse, happy, sad, um, and so on. So this, uh, the sign of impermanence leads to the experience of um, signlessness, which is one form of emptiness. These things have no particular sign other than change. This gives uh, tremendous um, strength, uh, but it, it's the strength of a modest and gentle strength. It's a strength of light, a light strength. It's not a strength of resistance, it's a serenity. So, um, which is very much, um, you know, what we sort of lack in life. And it's so important to, 
to find a place for that, to find that, that mode for the heart to find its own peace and, 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 uh, and ease. So this, is, uh, this kind of focusing like this is what gives, begins to give rise to the steadying ease which is the characteristic of samadhi. And so when you, when you use a word like concentration, I think, is this conducive to ease? If that concentration is conducive to ease, then you can say, yes, well, in this case, it does, this is what samadhi is. But if it's concentration that's about tensing and holding, then it's not samadhi. It doesn't, doesn't go that way. Extending, um, so this experience or this process of moving from the short breath to the what I call the whole body, this is an extension of awareness from one point to, to from a point, which is the present moment, this one pointedness to a, to a field, so that. What occurs, what begins to occur is that the um, awareness, your attention, which primarily had been in the recept- in a receptive mode, receiving, taking in, uh, finding, a, finding a balance, finding a position, if you like, to receive phenomena, actually moves into a more dynamic mode where it can transmit, it can actually reach out and extend itself over a field of con- over a conscious um, uh, field of consciousness, a mind consciousness primarily, <coughs> body consciousness. Um, so this ability to extend. Um, so in a way, once one has uh, established a, a focus on the long breath and the short breath, you, you get a, a, a very clear sense of there being a focal boundary, so um, which is present and through which things pass. And it's because of that, that, that awareness of a boundary, um, that gives rise to the recognition that there is a boundary and the, rec- and the recognition and the ability to extend that boundary, to enlarge it. So the, some of the, the skills of this process of, of mindfulness and samadhi are the ability to, to go from a small point to a large point, to flex attentions, to flex your boundary of attention. And this comes around because as you, when you, as you experience the the, the one-pointedness to have a, a certain cramped quality to it. You know, dwelling in that, abiding in that, one experiences a certain sense of something's holding here. And then the quality of just releasing, a releasing awareness over the whole, over the whole, whole experience. There you get a kind of a suffusion effect. This is one of the keys to uh, the, the practice of Brahma-vihara, or the, which are called the, the uh, boundless states. 
and the, these are the Brahma Vihara means the realm or the abiding place of Brahma, and Brahma is the well, is a name for kind of one of these supreme deities in the Buddhist cosmology, of which there are different levels. The supreme and even more supreme, and the supremest of the supreme, and then beyond the supreme, and they're, <laughs> you know, they're a little bit uh, caught up with themselves. Because <laughs> everyone thinks they're the supreme. Um, <laughs> uh, the Buddha said, if you want, the, you know, the, the Brahma Vihara are, are the place, the most supreme, if you're looking at bound, boundless states. Um, these are typified as metta, kindness, karuna, um, compassion, mudita, which is appreciative, gladness, gladness, which is empathetic, gladness at other people's well, uh, good fortune or well-being, and upeka, evenness or equanimity. So these are the, the boundaryless states. And um, this reflection, again, tells us a little bit about, you know, what is this mind thing that we're talking about? You know, what are we, this, is it, uh, it's not the thinking, it's some field of, of, of receptivity, some field of consciousness. And within that, uh, so within our conscious experience, then we can recognize there are things we resist. There are things that we dismiss, things that we either kind of shut out or hold against, or slightly nervous of, or you know, very strongly disapprove of. So you have these kind of uh, tensions or holding patterns or resistance impressions in, in the in the field of awareness. Things one's interested in, things one isn't particularly interested in, in they're kind of mildly negative, um, you know, and so on, down to things that one distinctly detests or is very averse to. So the, the, the pattern of one's ability to relate, one's ability to empathize and sensitize and respond is contained within the boundary of resistance. Things, the other side of that, so where that resistance is, beyond that, we don't relate, we freeze, or we block. And there may be, um, when you contemplate how how that occurs, there can be, um, you know, things in your your mind, things in your memory that, that come up that you just kind of go numb on. Or situations in your life you, you kind of go numb on, or people, you know, that you, you kind of just shut down on, or resist, or, uh, or from that resistance you even kind of get a, a sense of violence and, and aggression. Because violence and aggression is often uh, a reaction against being hemmed in. If you're kind of pushed in by something, then you push against it. So you, you can find this, these kind of patterns of behavior going on. 
the ability to to extend is is um, to get past these these uh, limitations, past these these barriers. And so the Brahm Vihara is a primary uh, the primary means of doing this. Now all of these these four qualities, metta, karuna, mudita, upeka, they they are they are described in more or less the same way. They're always described as um, abundant, extensive, without boundaries, uncramped, um, free from hatred and ill will. That's the common feature of them. So all, they all have the feature of pushing away or relaxing uh, the boundaries of one's permission, the boundaries of one's um, responsiveness, the boundaries of one's sensitivity. You know, so that the sensitivity is enlarged, the responsiveness, the empathy is enlarged. And because of that enlargement of the space, then the, the apparent subject also is enlarged. That is, it becomes more fluent, more responsive, not sort of a shut-in um, um, kind of narrow thing as something that's got uh, the ability to be flexible and, and, and um, respond to an, an, a number of, of, of states. So this is the, the, the main feature to, to recognize in Brahma Vihara. Um, the way we are, we get uh, more interested in, in the ideas of kindness, compassion, we can get um, I be, being people who enjoy ideals, one can kind of get tremendously idealistic about levels of compassion and and so on, and loving this and loving that. Um, but in a way, it's it's you recognise that that in reality it doesn't quite work like that. It's not about the the uh, power of the emotional state, emotional. Uh, temperature of those things, whether one is kind of, you know, eye-wateringly compassionate every moment of the day, the, the heart trembling at the sight of any creature experiencing the mildest dear discomfort, you know, <laughs> it's excruciatingly sensitive to, to everything on, another, on the planet. Um, you know, we think, well, it's really compassionate, but it, it's extraordinarily painful to live like that. It's um, these things, the way the Buddha described them, described in characteristically negative terms. Non-aversion is loving, what we like to think, loving kindness. Because we, love is a nice word, and then oodles of it, even better. Oodles and oodles is even better. <laughs> but non-aversion is kind of, well, you know, saying, you know, I've known you all this time. I'm really not averse to you. <laughs> so, wow, thanks a lot. That's great news. You know? <laughs> you could sign a letter. It's, uh, nice seeing you. Non-aversion. <laughs> we like to think, you know, love rather than non-aversion. But non-aversion is more realistic, actually. <laughs> And, and more to the point, more an accurate description of what's really occurring, rather than trying to trump up some nice state. Yeah, 
which can get, you know, it's too much of doing it, and it can get rather phony. You know, I think certainly, uh, you know, love is a is a terribly uh, overused and exhausted <coughs> word. You know, you can love everything from <coughs> French fries to <laughs> it's like sugar. You just slap it on everything, and so it's in a way it, it's kind of phony. Whereas non-aversion is actually for a contemplative. You can you can experience the sense of aversion, tensing up, not wanting that, feeling uneasy about that, not wanting to be with that, and then. Relax that. You know, to think it's great. You know, just just don't stiffen. You know, don't push it away. Just relax. You know? And then you, you actually feel something. You oh, give. That's not, that's non-aversion. And then you, you where your boundary, your your kind of your heart is larger, and that fear, that slight fearfulness, goes down. Uh, and the aim of these is to arrive at a kind of place of, of serenity rather than bubbling enthusiasm. So, uh, and and with these uh, Brahma Vihara, then being able to just develop this this way of, of of regarding things, noticing that you know one picks up a characteristic that gives rise to aversion. And seeing that actually, that is one's own responsibility. Things essentially are not, they're not detestable. We, we, we pick up, the, we, something is picks up that which we dislike. When you begin, the more you rest in that understanding of the ephemeral and the signless nature of things, all signs are put there by you. <laughs> Not by you consciously, but by the karmic patterns, the karma of your of your of your mind. you you know, I mean it's something we we may feel we're helpless. I can't help but dislike spiders, you know. I just can't stand them. So it's not something we did deliberately do, but our, our karmic proclivities have locked onto that. And so we often feel we're, we're helpless to do anything about it, but we're not. As a contemplative, you can begin to recognize you know, that, that the object, and then the aversion to the object is, is not the object, that's, that's, an, that's another layer of experience that's put onto that object, or that person, or that state, or their experience. That, that's, a, that's a behavior, that's a mental behavior. Now begin to separate that so you see the two. That behavior takes effort. That behavior has to be enacted. You know, you don't find yourself in a relaxed state of hatred. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you certainly you're, you're charged up. There's a certain you know the mind is engaged and activated. And through this process of, of developing meditation, you can actually re- feel that. You can feel energy, you can feel effort, and then you can also put it down. You can begin to relax effort. So one of the trainings in meditation 
are how to, to monitor and how to shift the effort faculty so that when there's effort being made and how to relax, how to step back, how to move forward, how to home in, how to back off. So just, just re- recognize and, and being able to, to just relax the effort that goes into aversion to things. That's, that's non-aversion. And when you, when you do that a little bit even, then interesting enough, what becomes more possible is when we begin to see the lovableness of things. Things in themselves are just what they are. They're, 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 they're kind of they're rather wonderful. Because they are what they are. They're not my, they're not there to annoy me or delight me. They are what they are. So there's a certain sort of uniqueness that makes all things have a, have a kind of lovable character. And to, to love them means that you, in, you let them be what they are. That's what loving is about. Loving means permission, granting thing, something to permission to be what it is. That, to my mind, is, is love. Rather than, say, you know, some sort of ebullient state. So, practicing with that, and recognizing when you look at something like this and look at it and contemplate it quite closely. So, you know, it's not about either manufacturing a, a, a tremendously high state of um, celebratory enthusiasm for everything, <laughs> uh, but also being on the lookout for just the, the slight smudges, you know, of, of aversion that, that come up. Towards, perhaps towards yourself. Perhaps, you know, jet black sometimes. <laughs> you know, dark, really dark, dark impressions of oneself that are unnecessary. It's not necessary to make those statements. It's not helpful. There's no point in it. When sometimes you feel helpless. So you get into this kind of depression because you feel helpless about you know, the, the way that you keep criticizing yourself. Interestingly enough, um, the quality of karuna, which is compassion, is based upon witnessing the helplessness of beings, including one's own helplessness. Helplessness of beings terms of, uh, you know, we are all, if you like, we're all bound to the cycle of sickness and death. Nothing we can do about that, really. So, you know, just bearing this in mind in terms of other humans. Look at other humans, you know, if you've, you know, you've been with somebody and they... You know, they, they have a, a narrow escape from death. You know, they have an accident or something. Oh, no, no, no. And then they, they you know, they're saved. You think they're so glad that they, they're alive. Glad you're alive for at least two hours. <laughs> <laughs> and then it goes dull again, you know. 
And this uh, friend of mine was his, his, um, his father suddenly got taken ill and he rushed off to see him and his father. And it, it diagnosed he had angina and uh, he had pancreatic cancer. And, it, and my friend was saying, oh, my, you know, father, dear old dad. And he was in tears, you know, about his father. Uh, very worried about him. And they found out they got some medicine, his father started to improve, and they found it wasn't pancreatic cancer, it was some other kind of pro- uh, prostate cancer, which is much easier to handle. And it was interesting, you see, because as, as his father's health improved, <laughs> his sense of tenderness and appreciation of his father diminished, you know, by proportion. So the point is, kind of, I was a silly old fool, wasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> he got back within a few days to the, to the kind of, oh God, here he's stumbling around again without his slippers on. Why does he have to do that? Why does he have to play the radio? And, oh, you know. <laughs> so, he said, you know, after a while he realized he must, his father must be well because he started to dislike him again. <laughs> but at that point, you know, because the father's no longer helpless, he's able to cope, and, can't, and so then you see all the things you don't you don't like, and you feel irritated by, and, can't, uh, and so on. But when the person's helpless, then it's different, isn't it? So, yeah. And of course, so the reflection on aging, sickness, and death is a, is a, a momentary one, and you can keep it in mind, but. But of course, we can think, yeah, well, I'm, you know, but I'm not dying now. I'm okay. So that we, we all look reasonably okay when we start to go off. They cart us away and lock us up somewhere you can't can't see us falling apart. Um, so your general appearance of the, the you know the human being is of sort of relatively healthy, okay. <coughs> so this diminishes our ability to experience compassion for each other. What's for a contemplative, then what's uh, there's possibility for more possibilities for experiencing compassion because you see, even okay, you know, so physically you're all right, but then you begin to more really understand the power of, of the mind's habits, of its compulsions, of its fear, of its worry, you know, of its doubt, of its tensions. And you come up against these in yourself. You think, oh, why do I have to keep doing this? Here I go again. Oh, no. Getting wound up about this again. Getting lost in that again. When will I ever grow up? You know, uh, so there's still the, there's the assumption of self there. Who has some say over it. <laughs> and then, you, then you feel exasperated. But when you realize, actually, this is karma experiencing. So we're looking at the, the mind, it's that, that mind that goes through that. The mind states are karma. They are, they are readouts on the, on the karmic tape loop. What you, the phenomena, the mind states are, are karma. They're not self, but they are, they are the results of what has gone before and they, they carry the, the footprint so they actually are 
almost like a, you know, a manifestation of a certain helplessness. All of them. But when one, rather than, you know, if we get um, fascinated by them or irritated by them, then we buy into them as somehow being ourself rather than being karma. So, you know, the, the, the good ones are just like that. The, the bad ones are just like that. They don't belong to anybody, they're just like this, they're just like that. So when we begin to experience them, you know, in this way of, of compassion, like seeing the, the helplessness in which, with which mind states arise and flow in oneself and in others, then there's a stepping back from the, those mind states, not from, not from ill will, but like a, dispa- a dispassion. And instead of the mind state, there is the knowing of a mind state. So, you, so this, uh, this uh, compassion gives rise to a, a quality of dispassion and transcendence of mind states. Um, what the thing... So helplessness is a um, very good con- contemplation. Just to see what it does when you bring up that reflection, rather than blaming, criticizing, worrying, pushing, forcing, despising. Then look at it like that and see what occurs. A lot of um, what the Buddha described compassion as non-cruelty, and. Cruelty is a very strong word, so to to refrain from cruelty, to the non-cruelty. So this probably the the, the 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 severest object of your cruelty is yourself. And cruelty we can is a strong word, but you can see things that are akin to it are certain dismissiveness. The inability to listen and not wanting to be bothered that that kind of you don't count that shutting out that's the opposite of compassion the shutting down shutting out pushing away dismiss abrupt cutting off so just looking at that in that experience and when you do it to other people when you do it to yourself or you do it to aspects to certain mind states, the the non-tenderness, the non-listening. So the, the cultivating the great listening mind, you begin to experience the quality of listening, which then dominates your attention more than the mind states that you attend to. So that's that's the boon, that's the blessing of great compassion. Mudita is the ability to um, experience or relate to the gladness, well-being of others. Um, And this specifically negates or goes against a tendency of negativity, sometimes called jealousy or boredom, 
And the word, the Pali word is arati. And arati is one of the, the uh, prime, one of the daughters of Mara. Why it could be a daughter, I don't know. But there you go, it could have been a son. But it's a nasty piece of work. Arati is this uh, negativity. And so there's a, this is a lot of this around um, a kind of cynicism. You could say cynicism is an aspect of arati. You know, with where you put things down. Um, so being able to experience the, the gladness uh, or, or others' welfare rather than jealousy or about other people's welfare or, <coughs> or, or cynicism. One of the... Um, so mudita, and this is something that's... that's consciously developed or developed in, in Buddhist cultures. Uh, they have these things like um, um, in some villages, for example, in Sri Lanka and <coughs> Thailand, they have like a bell. So when someone does a, a, a good deed, they ring the bell. And everybody feels, oh, very nice. <laughs> you know, there's a sort of, so it's, it's a mudita bell. And uh, when it's very... Uh, what this word anamodana, which sometimes is used. Uh, so at the end of a Dhamma talk, you hear this phrase, sadhu, sadhu, anamodami. Anamodami means, means I'm rejoicing in, in the goodness, in your goodness. Uh, that was really, you know, that kind of thing. So whenever a good deed is done, that sense of, oh, lovely, there it is, it is, you know. And it's not praising a person. It's just saying, there's goodness again. There's courage again. There's, you know... And just looking at that sign whenever it manifests and feeling happy by it rather than saying, I haven't got it. And, you know, I bet you only did it to prove, to prove something. All these kind of <laughs> crabby, cynical attitudes that can come up in the mind. So that's sort of like an innocence to it rather than being cynical and, and uh, smart. This extends. Because actually, there's always something that one can experience mudita for. If you look, if you if you bring up that, if you remember that kind of possibility. Upeka is the evenness of mind, and this is uh, something that what it counteracts is the tendency to go up and down all the time. And tendency to go up and down all the time is when one gets uh, um, is doesn't understand karma for what it is. So we, when we take karma to be self, then we go up and down. <coughs> so the, the, the process of mind states that occur, if you take them to be self, then you go, you go up with the good ones and down with the bad ones. When you understand it as karma, then you're more equanimous. It's just this. And in, in meditation, you have to uh, start to open up to all the past karma and not create new karma. So it's not possible to, to have no past karma. Past karma, vipaka karma. It's not possible to have no, nothing that one, to have not inherited anything, to come into this life with no luggage, as it were. This is not possible. But we can stop 
you know, the habit of gaining more. Um, so just this process of being able to experience the vipaka, that is the inherited luggage, the inherited habits, the inherited, you know, the, the, the confusions, the, the compulsions, the fears, the negativities and all this, as just this. Um, because it's in this ability to, to, to listen and receive past karma and to be equanimous and compassionate to it that it cease, this is what causes it to cease because it doesn't actually, isn't able to continue creating more footprints when one doesn't react to it. So this is the, extends the boundary of one's uh, permission, of one's ability to listen, to be aware. And so that, the net result of all of these is that one's awareness becomes more attuned to that sensitivity, that receptivity, that openness, which has no particular cause, no particular concern, it doesn't go anywhere, it doesn't want to be anything, so in this way, it's free from those compulsions and drives, free from position. And a dwelling in that, and then beginning to bring body and mind into that context so that we can unravel or allow this bright awareness to unravel the knots that otherwise perpetuate and create selfhood in this web of karma. So this, um, when we finish in the evening, or finish as a group anyway, kind of putter out on our own, um, this ex- extending one's awareness over this, this sharing of merit is an action of like sharing the heart, sharing one's empathy, sharing one's awareness with a whole kind of range of beings from the um, cosmic to the personal, to the public, to the intimate. And uh, there's this kind of <coughs> list of beings we share them with, and you can always add a few more uh, to, to the list in your own life. Verses of sharing and aspiration through the goodness that arises from my practice. May my spiritual teachers and guides of great virtue, my mother, my father, and my relatives, the sun and the moon, and all
virtuous leaders of the world. May the highest gods and evil forces, celestial beings, guardian spirits of the earth, and the Lord of death, May those who are friendly, indifferent or hostile, may all beings receive the blessings of my life. May they soon attain the threefold bliss and realize the deathless through the goodness that arises from my practice and through this act of sharing may all desires and attachments quickly cease and all harmful states of mind until I realize Nibbana in every kind of birth May I have an upright mind with mindfulness and wisdom, austerity and vigor. May the forces of delusion not take hold, nor weaken my resolve. The Buddha is my excellent refuge. Unsurpassed is the protection of the Dhamma. The solitary Buddha is my noble Lord. The Sangha is my supreme support. Through the supreme power of all these, may darkness and delusion be dispelled.
Sipanandoam, Hagavatos, Tokazandoam.